Hi there. My name's Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. This episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which we are not holding public worship. The preached texts are included in the audio for this episode, but you can still find a link to them in the show notes or description. Let us begin. Our reading for this evening comes from the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Now in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you came together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have been factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves, and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Here ends the reading. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Full disclosure now that as often as it is at our evening services, this is, again, like I said up top, more of a reflection than a sermon. But we will uh, end on a note of hope, nevertheless. I should also say that I do not intend to be too harsh toward pastors who have come to different conclusions during this difficult time, but this is how I view us responding in the most theologically consistent way possible. We're mixing things up a little bit tonight by uh, not only choosing the New New Testament reading over the gospel text, but even expanding it beyond the lectionary. Only that little bit in the middle is usually read uh, 
on Maundy Thursday. The gospel readings on this night, if we had had them, are about Jesus's last supper with either Jesus washing the disciples' feet or Jesus instituting communion. For that reason, most congregations that gather on Maundy Thursday will do one or the other or both. They may have communion as we traditionally do or foot washing as we traditionally don't. And tonight, in plenty of places, pastors are encouraging alternatives. Some traditions don't mind who uh, presides over communion, so they are maybe encouraging people to do it at home if they want to. Uh, Some in our and nearby traditions think emergencies. Like maybe what we're in now is an emergency. In an emergency, you can be more lax with the rules and do something totally different. But I disagree. If I'm being brief and crass, it's because I'm not a charlatan. I know that sounds a little harsh, but a charlatan is just someone who pretends to have knowledge or skill. You might think of them having a product, uh, which they do not actually have. I do not believe myself to have the capability to preside over uh, communion via remote, recorded service. So I will not pretend that I do. Now, Paul's letter to the Corinthians is filled with criticisms and corrections, though they are varied. Some scholarly types have uh, put them together. They've concluded that they are all fundamentally the same problem, that uh, depending on how you frame it, maybe they've leaned into God's grace in a way that makes it cheap, or even pretending as though they already live in the next age and can just do whatever they want here and now already, and they become reckless. But we could also divide up some of these indiscretions into groups or list them one by one. uh, But one group of indiscretions would be the way they divide themselves up, the Corinthians themselves. They they divide into factions. It's the word we had here in our translation. Uh, They divide based on the, the teachers they had, who they were baptized by, the spiritual gifts they have, and so on. Abuses of the Lord's Supper may well fall into this same category. I should say, as I appeal to this text talking about communion, that this is not one view among many. This is, in fact, the exact place where we get the words of institution from. It's the oldest reference to the Last Supper in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have the story but this is even older still. And it's the only guidance we find in the New Testament about how communion is to be conducted. It's a big tradition, a big sacrament for something with relatively few texts. Interpreting these few verses over the centuries explains much of what we Christians believe about the sacrament. For example, our tradition following our Roman Catholic forebears, treats this as a hallmark of ordination, what it means to be an ordained pastor or priest, in that only those ordained pastors and priests preside over communion. It's not that we have magical powers or anything. It's just about, like, best practices. Think it Think through some possibilities. Presumably, it's the person in the room who takes most seriously the sacrament, what's going on, what they believe is happening, the importance of it, 
most likely that person is an ordained pastor, and it makes the buck stop in one place. We will look at the Corinthians' specific abuses, but for now, just consider the fact that there are abuses. If it's in the realm of possibility to do communion improperly, which Paul warns is a grave offense, it's the kind of thing that can make you ill, it can kill you, then someone ought to be able to put a stop to those abuses. Now, where we draw the line is difficult. Paul commends them, judge yourself. So again, we join uh, with the Roman Catholic Church and typically having, maybe requiring, maybe offering confession ahead of time. We put confession in there somewhere. So that's a start. But what if someone's behavior or beliefs are toxic to our unity? What if they've explicitly demonstrated that they are not repentant of their sins and don't care to examine themselves? It's really hard to know where to draw the line. You know, it might break your heart to learn that some have been excluded from the sacrament because of things like they were divorced, as though their life weren't hard enough in those moments already, then their church piles on. But let's be more extreme. See, I majored in philosophy. I particularly emphasized ethics. And a good rule of thumb to keep in mind when it comes to to ethics, you know, trying to figure out what's good or bad, right or wrong in our behavior, is to consider those extremes. It would be extreme to exclude someone because of the circumstances of their birth or because of their economic status or because of who baptized them. I mean, the kind of things the Corinthians may have been up to, based on the clues we have, it's pretty extreme that they were excluding for such things like that. However, it would also be extreme to include someone who, after coming to the altar rail, cursed God or praised Satan or assaulted someone. You can imagine rather easily, if you entertain these extremes, a situation in which you would want a so-called gatekeeper at the front of the room to say, hey, that is contrary to what we are about here, and we will not allow such behavior during the time of expressing our shared beliefs, our one mind, our unity in Christ. How could we not? How could we allow such an extreme, albeit outside possibility, to, to mark our practice of unity? It would suggest that we are all okay with that. Now, you might think the crowd would, the crowd being the congregation, would self-police and put a stop to bad behavior, but we would not. To not have someone specifically vetted and trained to oversee the sacrament, we would readily introduce the possibility of demonstrating horrible behavior as though it were permissible, maybe even advised in our unity. But here's the thing. Circling back, the offenses of the Corinthians were far less than that, really. They were extreme on the exclusion. And they were still condemnable. The issue specific to the Corinthians, again, appears to be about division. They come together uh, to partake of this communal meal as a sign that the whole community is united. And again, united in Christ at that. 
But instead of having it together, they split up. They go off into groups, resenting other groups, groups that resent each other. That led to exactly what you think it would. Some eat well, while others don't eat enough. Maybe some don't eat at all. Others still resign to not take the event seriously, to take what's going on seriously, to be resigned, they've resigned themselves to not be united in any way, just get drunk instead. Be careful when someone claims that they want to go back to how the church was in the earliest days, as though in, right immediately following Jesus, things were perfect. You know, some of those churches had full-on potlucks for communion, which might be all right, but then they had folks in the back getting drunk. This behavior was not accept, acceptable. Not then, not now. Just to clarify then, this is why I will not entertain remote communion. Paul specifically condemned splitting up into different tables, behaving differently, having different access or amounts of food and drunkenness. You know, no offense to you, to you personally. I obviously don't mean you. <laughs> but someone watching this could be drunk. Someone watching this may not have bread or wine available. Some may be going hungry, period. Now, if that is actually you, that last bit, the part about going hungry, call me. There's no reason for anyone to go hungry right now. There's still plenty of food, even if it's you know, jammed into people's cupboards instead of on store shelves. Now, you might say to me, but isn't this worth the risk? Think of what we're losing by not having communion. What are we losing? Airing on the safe side here. Now, I've had some of these conversations. I know some of the responses. You might say, it's the means of grace. So we're losing the grace. That's what Lutherans think, right? We call it the means of grace. But no. Means of grace is an expression. It's an idea. It's born out of the Reformation. And those same reformers, like our Martin Luther, also wrote that communion is activated by faith. It's not the act in of itself that conveys grace, but Christ's salvific work and our faith in him. He says to do it, so we do it, but he does the saving. My confessions professor actually wrote as a response, this is maybe a little bit too transparent, uh, that if he could fail me in that course for not understanding something in another course, he would have because I had, through sloppy writing, suggested what that same counterargument suggests. I had suggested on accident that sins are forgiven by the practice of communion. And that isn't true. You could pluck a quote out of the confessions to, to convey that. That's what I did uh, on accident. But that's not what the means of grace means. It doesn't mean the act itself has this magic grace-filled power. All the benefits afforded by the practice are afforded by grace, however it comes. By grace, through faith, on account of Christ. If we go back in time, many Christians only communed once or twice a year. What did they lack for it? I might be getting redundant with this, but it's not a magic potion. It's not a 
panacea. It's not a cure-all. It doesn't remove the troubles of this world. It doesn't even remove a crisis of faith. Many of us, by circumstance, have gone months, even years, without communing. We will survive if we do that again. But okay, let's consider what we're actually missing, not these arguments that don't really lead anywhere, but you'll hear sometimes. You know, maybe we divided in our homes is kind of like how our church universal is divided into congregations, and communion could have um, served us now as it always has. You know, if you imagine our houses is kind of like even smaller congregations, uh, as a sign, the communion then it would be a sign of unity despite those divisions. They might just be geographic divisions. You know, for churches, they might be political or theological. But for our homes, they would just be that we're physically apart. And I think that is a fair point. If it weren't for those risks of abuse I mentioned earlier, I would probably find that a sufficient argument, in fact, that we could still be united at a distance by communing at home. Yet greater still, I think the biggest loss is what our reformers said communion does, which other practices do not. It assures us of Christ's presence through our, our senses. We can see it and smell it, and touch it and taste it. We can even hear it as it moves about. Not the most pleasant thought, but you can. For some, this is an important assurance of their faith. Not necessarily everyone, even being in a sacramental tradition like ours, when Lutheranism takes uh, communion rather seriously. Some of us, like me, are rather fond of words. You know, it means more to me to hear theology and scripture get even debated, and to hear scriptures and sermons aloud than it does to commune. That sustains my faith more than communion does. But not everyone is like that. Not everyone is like me in that way. For some, the physical engagement is important, in, and it's lamentable that they're missing out on that. If it's important to them, we should lament that they are missing it. But I don't want to... Well, I don't wish to end abruptly, but it's on that note that we can find some assurance in all of this mess. The body of Christ is not just bread and wine. In fact, it's, you know, here in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about the body of Christ, uh, how, it, how it's like the human body. It has varied parts, varied purposes and skills. It's only when uh, we come together in unity that we can really be the body of Christ and we become like Jesus for the world. Of course, sure, we're, we're not together like we usually are. But we are together nevertheless. We are another example of the physical presence of the body of Christ there to serve as an assurance of faith to one another. We cannot commune properly at this time without risking the same sort of abuses Paul addressed in Corinth, but we can still be assured by Christ's physical presence because we can serve one another in that way. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, pick up the phone, call someone, assume that they haven't heard from anyone from church yet, and then assure them that they are not forgotten. 
They are still part of the body of Christ, and God's grace is still poured out for them wherever they are, however long it's been. We will commune again, as soon as we have the chance, in fact. Let's just be community in the meantime. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio in my sermons does not always come with proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my own seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study, and I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave, fairly often. Some credit is due to at least one of those other sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other. Be responsible and have a great rest of the week. Thanks.